Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. Welcome to another How We Solve episode. Today, I have a very special guest, Temple Graydon. I'm Temple Graydon, professor of animal science at Colorado State University. And when I was four years old, I had no speech. All the symptoms of autism, still have autism. If I was a computer, I'd be an Intel 286 with a really small processor, but huge amounts of memory for graphics files. Actually, I have a condition called aphantasia. I have basically no pictures in my mind. So I'm like the polar opposite of you, and I just found this out. And I tend to be able to get along with these people really well, kind of being the other link of helping them to work with the rest of the team and getting their horsepower on the street because they're very capable, but they you know lack on other elements. I found that there's a good symbiosis between how my mind works and how people who are on the autism spectrum or especially having Asperger's, I've been getting along with those folks really well. And I'd like to ask you, for a manager who managed somebody with autism or being on the spectrum, how can a manager, if they hire somebody or realize that somebody on the team has this condition, how can they help them to be more productive? What can they do to make them shine? Well, I'll tell you that, but also about 20% of the people I work with, engineers, I've been up to Silicon Valley, half those programmers have undiagnosed autism. So it's a very wide ranging. And you actually get three kinds of specialized thought in autism. You get the object visualizer like me, who thinks in photorealistic pictures. You get the more mathematical, visual, spatial, thinks more in graphs and patterns, often good at music. And then you get the word thinker, who is completely verbal. And you also can have some of these different kinds of thinking with the people that are not autistic either. But the thing is, the autistic person tends to be more extreme, an extreme object visualizer, an extreme mathematician. And the first step is realizing that these different kinds of thinking exist. Uh, My kind of mind is very associational. Okay, you ask me a key word for something, um, I'll make associations that maybe the verbal thinker doesn't make sense. But when I explain them, they make sense. So you might want to give me a key word, pretend I'm Google for images. And give me something original, not house, car, dog. Give me something really original for a keyword, and I'll tell you how my mind, how I access my graphics files. I'm curious what you see in your graphics when I say aphantasia. Hmm. I see the word. Now I'm getting a very inappropriate visual picture of the <laughs> old Disney movie Fantasia. Hmm. Okay. Because it sounds similar to Ant Fantasia. But then I'm trying to figure out what not having visual thinking would be like. So now I'm seeing a situation where I had dinner with a speech therapist. This comes up as pictures. I'm sitting in her house. I can remember the position where I'm sitting. And I asked her, we were at dinner at her home. And I said, can you visualize your office over at the university? She says, no, I can't. I just know it's to the right, two doors down the hall. Before I knew about Anfantasia, I had discovered on my own people with no visual thinking. Rare. Now, why does she go into a field like speech therapy? because that doesn't require any visual thinking. There's also a lot of scientific research, and I covered some of the scientific research in my book, The Autistic Brain, that shows that there is science that shows that the object visualizer and the visual spatial mathematician are two kinds of thinking. This is actually scientifically documented. You see, like an engineer has one approach to design, 
the industrial designer. And basically, I'd be an industrial designer as the visual approach or the art approach, engineer the mathematical approach. But you need to have both. And let's take something like the Mars rover. It has beautiful hand-done wiring on it. That was not done by mathematicians. Let's give the guy in the shop some credit here. The thing I'm finding when I talk to people is that I get along with the mathematicians fine. We, we figure how we're different because we're both bottom-up thinkers. In other words, you plan our projects really carefully. You take the data and you don't make wild theories. Verbal thinkers make wild concepts. I should say wide concepts rather than wild. Like, okay, how do we have an inclusive classroom? But they have no specifics on how to accomplish an inclusive classroom. How do you actually do this? I'd like to get back to how can I empower and how can I help people who are on the spectrum? First of all, do not be vague with them. There's a scene in the HBO movie, Temple Grandin, where my boss slammed down the deodorant and said, you stink, use it. And some people on the spectrum, hygiene is not good. No, you need to pull them aside in private and tell them they need to clean it up. It's mm -hmm. fine to have purple hair or whatever, but you can't be a filthy, dirty slob. And the other thing in terms of the workplace some people have problems with certain LED lights that flicker. So mm -hmm. the entire office would be like a strobe light. That'd be horrible. Now, not everybody has this problem. It might be only 10 or 20%, but it really bothers some. Some people need a really quiet place to work. Well, mm -hmm. I went into a big room at a tech company recently, just a couple of years ago. 100 people in this big room at bench desks, big picture window on one side of it. So they got lots of natural light. That was good. So you wouldn't have the flicker problem. Absolutely silent. Glued to their computers, noise-canceling headsets on, absolutely silent. And there was a variety of stuff on the computers being done. Some stuff was obviously programming. Somebody had a graphics file up. But also clear instructions of what to do. Uh, here's an example. I've got something right now. I was told by one editor, when they wanted a chapter in a book on animal handling, that I was only allowed to have 40 references. I can only have 40 references. That's all. So then the reviewers are saying, well, why didn't you reference that? Why didn't you reference that? Well, because I was told I only could have 40 references. So I've just now written back to the editor, a different editor, saying that one of the editors said I could only have 40 references. Now, if I can have more references, I'll do every single one of those references the reviewers want. And I would have done them if I hadn't been limited on references. Hmm. You see, I have to give you a specific example of how to do it. I don't think in abstractions. Okay, so cater to the individual, kind of figure out like, is light bothering them or is sound bothering whatever? First of all, you have to make sure you don't have a sensory issue. Also, people with autism need specific instructions. Like when I was out doing design work all the time, I'd go into a big beef company and we were going to remodel the whole front end. I've got to know exactly what the scope of the job is. New construction's easy. Just show me the site plans. But let's say we're doing a remodel job. I need to know what I can tear out is the land on the other side of the fence yours? Can I design mm. something on it? Clear outcomes. All right, let's take it the tech companies. You'd say the person will want you to write some software on a certain platform using this electronics and it does a certain thing and get it done in three weeks. That's specific. This was my experience with somebody who was on my team who was on Spectrum. I worked phenomenally well with him because I was always really being specific in what I would like him to build. And my business partner was not getting along with him at all. I don't know what he did, but he was like not able to get him productive. So I guess he must have been rather vague in terms of the scope of work that they provided him. 
but yeah, it, with, with me it was like always flawless and he was like the yeah. best performing individual i ever had worked with okay. in this regard as a developer i assume you've been dealing with this topic long enough that you're self-aware that you then kind of like do follow-up questions to get it more specific oh, yeah. i have standard questions now i troubleshoot it in a standard way the first mm. thing i like to say with an autistic child i gotta know the age if it's a three-year-old, I've got a standard early intervention talk for that. But now when the kid gets older, what is the problem? Is it bullying in the classroom? He's having trouble with reading. Maybe there's sensory problems. How verbal is the kid? I have to know a lot more. And then usually I can give an answer that works. Working with an engineer, for example, we could develop with him a standardized questionnaire so he can yep. kind of like really drill down if something is unclear, somebody gives you a task that's unclear, you know, ask like these questions, like how much time do I have? What's the budget for this? What are the specifics that I have to build? Because I felt that when my business partner communicated with him something, he was like just spinning and yep. not getting things done, getting like lost in certain details and not being able to focus on, on, on the right stuff. Well, the first step is realizing how the different minds can work together. Right now we're working on a book on visual thinking. And I was looking up some original drafts I wrote. Boy, I could sure dig up the science. But very associational, not that well organized. And then Betsy, my co-writer, man, she knows how to organize it. I don't know how she does it. But when it comes to explaining something mechanical, I was trying to explain leverage to her. She mm -hmm. finally could understand it when I said, well, well, prying the lid off a paint can. That's something she had done. Another question I'd like to ask you is like, how do you handle emotions that come up because i've seen this also with people who are on the spectrum that they struggle with that do you have like any tips first of all my main emotion is fear now that is pretty well controlled now with antidepressant medication which i've discussed in my book thinking in pictures one of the problems i have in a lot of social situations let's go back to them that intel 286 trip with massive memory you know a couple of clouds for graphic memory but a lot of social conversations go by really fast. I can't hear them. I have trouble following them. There are also things where, let's say with an autistic employee, don't throw a surprise at them. Mm -hmm. Surprises, they're going to be getting a new boss. Give them a warning. Surprises mm -hmm. scare them. They can just completely panic sometimes. They have to have the right kind of boss. And then there's certain things they are extremely good at doing. And I worked with skilled tradespeople, two of them that were autistic undiagnosed they had 20 patents each of mechanical devices and one of them sells it all around the world there's a big business doing this this is another reason why i'm very concerned about taking classes like shop out of the schools taking mm -hmm. art out of the schools taking theater out of the schools cooking sewing because these give the visual thinkers places to do things where they can excel they have mm -hmm. robotics classes of my job would be the mechanics we'll have somebody else do the programming that would be the different minds working together. But I'm very concerned that all the math requirements now are screening out the visual thinkers. And you need that guy that works in the shop who can fix anything. And he's not getting replaced or she is not getting replaced. How do you self-diagnose that you are on the spectrum? Things like, okay, problems with interrupting, not following conversations, not fitting in, feeling like an outsider in a lot of social situations. Like last night, we had a really nice party that one of the faculty members' homes had a great time there. It was outside, and I could talk to individual people one at a time. That works really well for me. But when everyone's sitting around chit-chatting, one of the problems is I can't hear the conversations. Auditory processing problems, and I'm not fast. And 
thing is, I got emotions. I can get scared really easy, panic really easily. But the thing I get really excited about is doing cool stuff. Like I had a chance to visit Cape Canaveral and go in the vehicle assembly building. And I sat in the launch director's chair of the original control room for going to the moon. That was really super cool. See, that's the sort of stuff that turns me on. Getting really, really turned on by stuff I do. I have friends through shared interests. We can talk about horses together, talk about animal behavior. What I've been seeing with engineers as well, they're like, they really blossom when they can geek out on a certain topic that they're into yes. with others that are into this. Yes. But see, like if it's just like some random blah, then they're kind of like really going inside and not coming out. But once, you know, you're together with people who are like sharing the same topics yep. they like to geek out, then they really open up and, and become very social. In the world, we need the different kinds of minds because the more social people don't get stuff done. See, let's sort of look at the brain sort of from an engineering standpoint. You've got a certain amount of processor space in that brain. So how am I going to allocate it? I'm going to allocate it to social emotional or allocate it to engineering or art or math. And what tends to happen in autism is it gets more into the thinking. So your brain can be more thinking or your brain can be more social emotional. So here are some interesting papers to get into the thing. Here's a paper called Solitary Mammals as the Model for Autism. All right, let's look at the lions. Lions are more social than panthers or leopards. There's mm -hmm. genetic crossover with autism. Or another paper, Genomic Trade-Offs. Are autism and schizophrenia the steep price for a human brain? The same genes that give us a gigantic brain are also involved with autism and schizophrenia. Mm. And they're actually opposite conditions. And you can get extra circuits in certain places in autism. That's why you get skills like extreme visualization. I've had my brain scanned with a, I've got a gigantic trunk line for visual thinking. I think I saw this in your TED Talk, like triple or even more the size of the control group, right? Was the red one versus the blue one? I can't do algebra. So I don't have abstract math. You see, I can't make a graphics file. Now I can learn how to do something like pi times the radius squared to find the area of a circle. That's no problem. And now when I'm seeing that, I'm seeing a hydraulic cylinder, for example. You see, I use that for a very practical thing. And when I talk about finding the area of a circle, I'm, I see stuff, let's say a water tank, for example, things where you might need to find the area of the circle or the volume of the tank. Mm. Everything is visual. But I just memorize pi times the radius squared. I just rememorize that formula. And I use it for certain specific things that I can visualize. Math in the abstract, I can't do. In the movie, you were trained with like seeing different faces, angry, happy, to kind of like learn these visual cues. Do you think it makes sense if somebody's on the spectrum or you, you work with somebody who's on the spectrum who lacks these social skills, that you kind of confront them with this and help them to do these well, types of training? Or do you think it should be done like at an early age? Or like how much time does it take to pick this up? In the 50s, it was normal practice when I was a child. When I was in elementary school, primary school, it was normal to teach basic social skills like shaking hands, taking turns, table manners. And when I did something wrong, they would tell me, well, use the spoon to stir your drink, not your finger. They would mm -hmm. give me the instruction. And I think kids need to learn that. But there's kind of an emotional connectedness that other people have that I don't have. Well, for me, but it's also something with my aphantasia. When somebody tells me that they're going through a tough time or something terrible happened to them, I logically empathize with them, but I'm not really showing the empathy like, oh, who are you? And like these type of things. 
and people have been kind of upset about this that I'm still staying so cool or cold. And I've, you know, working on kind of learning to some degree, like bring up these emotions or play these emotions. I have some people I've talked to that they've had some really rough times and I actually helped them. I think I helped one person save their marriage just from things that I logically told them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, similar experience for me. A good friend of mine came to me and said, like, he's going through this tough time. And I just told him, that's no problem. You just do this and this and this and this and this, and then everything should be good again. And he got really upset. I've learned that that's not the way to deal with it. Telling him that doesn't work. But I still do it more by logic, because I'd like for the person to get in a better state of mind and have their life going better. It's funny to me that in school, in business, we hire a lot of people and we do personality tests to figure out like how these people tick. And with very basic personality tests, so just like asking some questions, for example, close your eyes, can you see an apple, etc. You know, I would have easily identified that I have aphantasia. Similar with the, the visual thinkers, I think this could be fairly easily done to via that everybody takes a standardized personality test when they go to school to find things like this out and to so cater to how different we are. An interesting study that was done on how do people understand how things work or to put together you know, a piece of furniture or something like that, or even in a scientific paper, I'd rather just look at the graphs, look at the tables, look at pictures of stuff, then read a long verbal description. Do you think that there's still a stigma around hiring people who are on the spectrum? What do you see like in, in the job markets? Well, I think a lot of companies are realizing people on the spectrum have a lot of skills. I mean, throughout my career, I've worked with lots of people on the spectrum who are undiagnosed. I've had mm. grandfathers and grandmothers coming up to me all the time to find out they're on the spectrum and the kids get diagnosed. So mm. why did that person end up with a job? They had a paper route at age 11. Also, in my generation, social skills were taught. Also, grown-ups corrected children. No matter where you mm. went, a grown-ups would correct you. These days, people would throw a fit to like, don't talk to my kids. I'm responsible for people became very sensitive about this. Oh. But it takes a village to raise a child. So it's always helpful when other people are chiming in. Yeah, and there is a problem with discrimination. The young thing I learned very early is I learned to sell my skill, which was designing livestock handling facilities. And so I would simply, when I went to do an interview, I would show people my work. Here's my drawings in my book. I learned to sell my work, not myself. I'm really happy that your mother was so persistent and helped you to become the person who you are because you did so many amazing things. You had such a positive impact in the world. The treatment of animals in these facilities and also for other people who were dealing with autism or being on the spectrum. In the autism field, there was a lady named Donna Williams and she had visual processing problems. So when she did art, visual art, it was very abstract. But when she did sculpture, it was photorealistic. Hmm. I thought that was interesting. To me, it was like the big aha moment once I found out that I have aphantasia because I thought nobody can create images in their head. You know, when people say like, go to bed, just like count sheep. For me, it was like a stupid thing just like to lay there and just count because I don't see any sheep jumping over a fence over there. What I saw right now was I was at a sheep stockyard when you said sheep jumping and it was a bright sunny day and there were shadows of the fence on the concrete floor and the sheep were going boing, boing, boing over the yeah so well, i like got when, that image when you said counting shape well like when somebody says like do you remember this emotion remember the feeling i always thought like yeah i remember it like logically but i cannot relive it or refeel it and to me it was the, the big aha moment was to realize how different we all are and everybody perceives things 
so very differently. So when you think, you think in words then? Yes, but not exclusively. You think in mathematical formulas? No, hard to describe. I think the best description I read somewhere with Epantasia is it's like a computer tower, but there's no monitor attached. There's no sound cards. Let's say you're writing a business letter. Mm -hmm. As you write it, you obviously you hear the words in your head when you no. write something? No, I think about the concepts of what I want to do or like what I want to achieve. When you think about the concept, like Betsy, my co-writer, she thinks completely words. Mm -hmm. And she just gets the words. I get a picture, she gets words. So let's say mm -hmm. you want to write, I am going to the store to buy groceries. Mm -hmm. So you write that. Do you have any words in your head I, I, when you yes. write that? Yes, I, I think so, yeah. Okay, so that's verbal thinking then. This is why I started this series of the different minds that we have in the world and how we can work together better and how can we at the workplace cater to these different minds so they can all thrive and perform and reach the full potential versus like being held back by not working together in the right manner. The first step is you have to realize that different methods of thinking exist. That's the first step. Because when I was in my 20s, I thought everybody thought in pictures. And when I did my initial work with cattle, I looked at what cattle were looking at. I couldn't figure out why other people didn't think that was logical. Well, if you think in words, you wouldn't be looking at what cattle are looking at, like a shadow or a coat on a fence. And I was maybe in my 30s before I started to understand that other people think verbally. You think everybody thinks the same way you do. And it was a revelation for me to find out that other people um, don't think the same way I do. In fact, I'm just going to show you one thing here on this piece of paper. I was shocked when I talked to a speech therapist. And I said, think about a church steeple. How does it come into your mind? And that's all she saw. Mm -hmm. Just that where I see specific churches, and I'll name off where they're at. The visual thinker will name them off. And the reason why I'm asking you church steeples is most people can visualize their own dog or their own car, because that's something that they are familiar. totally familiar with. Well, then, yeah, you have no visual thinking at all. You can't visualize your dog. Can you feel your dog petting it, stroking it in your mind? No. Okay, so you don't even have the touch. Can you no. hear your dog? No, no sound, no smell, no emotions, no taste, no feelings. I guess I'm very far on, on the side. Of. Yeah. What skill are you really good at? I'm really good at organization development and working with people and putting the right people into the right seats. Okay. Working with concepts and finding solutions for problems, but I guess in a conceptual way, not in a visual way. This is interesting to me because your way of thinking... I can understand what the mathematical mind does because their way of approaching problems is more like me. But thinking totally conceptually, no math, you're not getting words. In other words, it's pure thought. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I just discovered this six months ago. You know, it took you 20 years to figure out that you really yep. think different. For me, it took like 43 or 44 years to figure this out. And, you know, I'm still processing being so different from other yeah, people. Yeah, there's a lot of people around that are visual thinkers like me. There's a lot of them. I just tend to be on the extreme end of it. And what the research shows is the object visualizer like me in the extreme, thinks in a photorealistic graphics file, is an opposite trait from the visual spatial, more engineering mathematical mind. Hmm. Now, a lot of people are mixtures of the two kinds of thinking, but you won't find an extremely good object visualizer and an extremely good mathematician in the same person. Hmm. 
it was a real, real pleasure meeting. A real, real honor meeting you. Do you have any other books, tools, or resources you can recommend? Well, I, uh, yes, I would. All right, let's just do a little book sales right now. This is Thinking in Pictures. This is my autobiography. I wrote this 25 years ago, and a new edition has a new afterward. And it's where I talk about visual thinking, talk about my life. Then there's the autistic brain, and there's a very good chapter in here on sensory problems in autism. Also, the object visualizer and the mathematical visual spatial kinds of thinking is discussed in animals in translation. I discuss how visual thinking helped me to understand animals. This is a real interesting book. I think people on the spectrum that are having a hard time fitting in will like because it's 18 people diagnosed later in life, all employed in good jobs, ranging from a veterinarian, a doctor, computer scientist, a tour guide, somebody who worked at a large store, a wide variety of jobs. And they talk about their marriages, their relationships. Now, where the diagnosis helped them was understanding their relationships. A lot of the people consider it almost a relief. You know, same with, with Maya Fantasia, realizing it really helps you to then reflect on it and then find a crutch to solve things that are specific. Well, it, it's a different way of looking at things. And then we got to get kids out doing things. So I did my outdoor scientist book. And one of the projects is in here is doing an ethogram. It's actually a college assignment where I had to observe an animal for four hours. Hmm. But kids could do this. This is my, my tinkering aviation projects when I was a kid. Things like little parachutes, building little kites and airplanes. And I had to tinker to get these things to work. Kids today are too afraid of making a mistake. And hmm. I think this is due to hands-on classes being taken out of schools. Worst thing that schools have ever done. It's amazing. Temple, it's really mind-blowing how prolific you are, how many books you've put out there, how much things you've accomplished. Thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate you and everything you've done. If people want to reach you, where can they find you? TempleBrandon.com. They can write there. I'm also a professor of animal science at Colorado State University. There's a website there. You can find the information. I want to make myself accessible, but I don't want to get 100 phone calls <laughs> instantly. Again, thank you very much for being here. Really appreciate you. Thank you for everything you've done. And thank you for coming on the show. Okay, great. Thank you for having me. Is your sales team spending too much time researching leads and accounts? We take over all the labor-intensive sales development tasks so your team can focus on building relationships and closing more deals. We don't just build lists. We take a strategic research-based approach to find your team qualified leads every day. Ready to start? Schedule your free consultation at taskdrive.com. That's T-A-S-K-D-R-I-V-E dot com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.